identity for a space and the brand of a space is so much more than just what the logo is. The scales that you see on the menu at Sardine is also on the gift card and isn't really part of the logo at all, but is as a much a part of the visual identity as the red little seal or the tall red neon sign. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I am your host, Cap Times food editor Lindsay Christians, and this is a new series we're calling Making a Restaurant. With this series, we're looking at how restaurants go from that first idea scribbled on a napkin to the pasta on our plates. You can jump in right here, but if you missed the first episode with Caitlin Simnecht from Food Fight Restaurant Group, that was a really great conversation about how restaurant ideas get started. This week we're talking design. I should qualify that I am not the kind of person who can look into an empty space and imagine what it's going to look like with new floors and fresh paint. To translate a culinary idea into a logo and a font for the menu and wallpaper on the walls seems like an incredibly daunting task to me, so I was particularly excited to talk to Cricket Redman of Cricket Design Works. Cricket worked with Planet Propaganda and then started her own design firm in 2002. They moved to Monroe Street in 2008, and since then their clients have included Graft, Heritage Tavern, Oliver's Public House, Landmark Creamery, Formogenation and Sardine, just to name a few. Cricket's first client was Ancora Coffee Roasters on King Street. She redesigned their logo. So when I started Cricket Design Works, actually my first client was Ancora Coffee Roasters. Um, I redid their logo from the anchor to um, to the wave because Ancora means again Ancora over and over and over again. So there was this idea of waves and wanting it to be Italian. Um, And so that was sort of a transition into how that mark got created. When a client comes to you, a restaurant Mm -hmm. that's not open yet, maybe, what are some of the first questions that you ask them? I think of a restaurant as sort of like a movie pitch. You know, like, what do you want this restaurant to be? What do you want this experience for for you as a chef? Like, what's your expression? And what do you want somebody who comes to your restaurant to experience? You know, is it fast casual meets fine dining? I mean, like those things don't really go together, but (laughs) you'd be surprised at the number of times that I hear that kind of like, it's this meat, you know, it's Italian Mediterranean meets local cuisine. Oh, sure. Okay. So like there's that kind of thing. And then there's also the like, what's your price point of, of a dish? Um, are you, how often are you open? How late do you want people to be there? Um, how long do you want people to linger? How do you want them to feel when they're in the space? Who is, you know, what do you go there for? You know, everybody goes there to eat, but that's not why they really go there. Is there that element of, I need to escape my work week and therefore I want this mini vacation in the middle of my Wednesday evening that is a trip to the Caribbean or a a moment of quiet and calm or is it that I want to immerse myself in the busy buzz of Madison where I can 
you know, see people and be seen. It makes me think about the palm leaves on the walls at Midmark, which I go to a lot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you say, because I was there last Wednesday night. And I was, was there like last little... night for the first time. It was amazing. <laughs> but it is kind of like a little oasis in the middle of the winter. Yeah. Or, you know, somewhere like, um, I've been thinking a lot recently about Greenbush Bar and like how it's sort of, you know, it's underneath, mm-hmm. you know, and this basement kind yeah. of space. Um Versus maybe somewhere that's really high up, which has right. really beautiful views or whatever. Yeah, like, like AC Marriott, where you just, or, you know, Vino up there is just like whoo, the sense of space. Yeah. Um, or down, e- you know, either Gray's or L'Etoile, because they're both the same the kind windows. of view. Is, yeah, like you are, the capital seems larger than life. Um, and you are in a little jewel box to be seen. More of the jewel box experience is at, is at L'Etoile, I think. But, For sure. But you also have this sense of being in the center of things at Gray's as well. Yeah. And there's certain aesthetics, like, you know, if you kind of go down King Street there, of, like, being almost hidden, mm-hmm. like these places are almost Tucked hidden. away. Yeah. yeah. Like, Nashville doesn't have a sign. Right. This yep. kind of thing. Yeah, you have to, I mean, that's sort of like that insidery aesthetic yeah. of, like, oh, we're, we don't want to be found. We want to have more of that speakeasy aesthetic. And I think Four Quarters got that same thing going on as well. Yeah. For sure. Um, but that's a that's sort of like the thrill of the hunt, you know, and that I didn't know it was here, and then here I am being the person discovering this place. When you're putting a logo together, like mm-hmm. specifically the logo, do you take all of that into account? Yeah, I mean, I like to be really collaborative in the work that we do, um, both the designers and the client, um, in order to really begin to kind of dive down a couple of layers deeper than what that initial like pitch is. Um, And that conversation is, you know, a couple hours of back and forth in terms of vision and experience and understanding a little bit more about who the personalities are within the, the business. Oftentimes people don't have the menu, but they have ideas of like, we'll have stuff like this, and this is how it will flow over the course of seasons, or here is how our meal would progress. And that will then kind of tease out kind of levels of craft or levels of collaboration or what presentation might feel like. And then from that conversation around what they see their vision for the restaurant will be, we will collect a wide range of inspiration um, and we'll cur- pull, build a f- pretty big mood board for clients. And sometimes there's like in the inspiration, there's pretty big divide between like, hey, there's this direction that's really different than this other inspiration. And so you can kind of cull it apart into option one and option two. And so then we'll iterate off of that. And so th- when we actually are at a presentation of the logos, there'll be option A, we talked about this, and if you wanted to go in this more casual direction or you wanted to go a little bit more European, this is this direction. If you wanted to go a little bit more local and heritage-based, maybe this is the option for you. And option one versus option two, we're normally not just showing here is a logo. Like We will often also show it in context so people would see it on the side of a van or what what does the sign look like or how does that fit on the logo or on the to-go box? You know, a little bit of execution because of identity for a space and the brand of a space is so much more than just what the logo is. What do you want the in, you know, 
the interiors got this blue tile or I have a vision for a blue tile or I have a vision for the bar is going to be, you know, made out of silo um, siding. So that becomes part of the aesthetic that could then feed and inform logo color or menu presentation and all of that goes into the branding. So there's a visual system that emerges and the logo fits within that visual system. But the idea is that, you know, the scales that you see on the menu at Sardine is also on the gift card and isn't really part of the logo at all, but is as a much a part of the visual identity as the red little seal or the tall red neon sign. a designer like Cricket would get involved. Does she come in at the same time as the architects and the contractors do? Or is she laying her design on top of something that already exists? When we get the opportunity to work closely with the people doing the interior, I think the results are always that much stronger. For example, when we were working with Christy McKenzie on Pasture and Plenty, the renovation of that from an old Renabombs drugstore to the open, airy space that it is today was really helpful to pull color because they have this amazing tile floor that they saved and refurbished. So this like not Kelly green, not forest green, this kind of muted rich green with their maroon had to play in with the red that we had kind of already established into a classic color palette. So, you know, sometimes there's hidden treasures in the space, but then also if you're that much of a visionary in terms of your business model where you know that you may not be at just that one space, you have to build something that's also going to be portable so that if you have location number two, you can evolve it to fit that as well. I hear a lot about people whose end goal is to franchise. Um, and I wonder, like, is that something that you want to know up front? Like, this need, this is going to need to be replicable across many locations? And of course, that's ideal, and that's oftentimes aspirational. You don't know sure, that that's yeah. actually going to work. Um, but I do think knowing that it's going to be something that will have legs does change what we would do and how we would do it because sometimes your approach can to like menu design can be very very bespoke in that you would you know create a menu binder or a particular carrier for the menu that would be very different if you had three locations or a hundred locations when you are working with a restaurant that maybe wants to change its concept, mm-hmm. you mentioned Encore, like changing their um, right. their logo. Does that happen fairly frequently? I know Food Fight does it a lot. I do see them change format. It can, it, you know, it can be done and it can be done well. Um, it's always risky because it suggests a shift in something wasn't working and now we're going to do it differently. Ideally, it gets to be done in a way where 
what we've done feels old and we've evolved beyond where we were where we've been and now we need to up our game away a bit um and how do you do it in a way that it honors the tradition of what you've built as a brand um for example we worked with tipsy cow we worked with them to update their menu to something that was actually a lot more functional and readable. We did some minor menu logo edits as part of that. And consistency with the brand was much more important than making the the visual identity leap um, because that felt like too big of a shift for all of the partners involved in the restaurant. So that had a minor minor evolution. But then Broca felt like their stuff was really tired. and almost like the Disneyland version of an Irish pub as opposed to an actual contemporary Irish pub. So the revisioning of Brokaw was something to like trim it down to be a much cleaner, more contemporary expression of what, it, what an Irish pub should be. So those are, those are two examples. And then, and then Ancora had a very, very busy logo that wasn't very scalable as the anchor. Um, it was an anchor made out of coffee beans to make it look like chains back in the very, very old day. <laughs> um, and it's been through one more iteration after our work with them. Um, and that was mostly to clean things up. But then there was a, there's a new iteration that is uh, much more hand-drawn and organic and looks to be a little bit more indie rather than Italian. I couldn't help but think about all the ideas and concepts they've had over the years that clients didn't choose, and so they're doomed to obscurity. No one will ever see them. Cricket said they have a fail wall. We like to try and present option A and option B that we feel equally proud of so that there is no love lost when they pick something that's not our preferred vision. Um, Oftentimes... I think we're thinking about how it can be applied um, and how extensible the logo is into a system that's going to be rich and versatile and allow for great execution across, you know, multiple things from what does the apron, you know, like what's the uniform look like and how does, if there's a logo on the uniform, how does it look subtle, interesting and not cookie cutter everywhere? Um, a polo shirt. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, is it on the little corner of an apron or is there just a little visual element on the apron that relates to the logo? And if it's this logo, it could be this element and therefore it would look extra beautiful in that application. Um, so we're sort of like seeing it spin out over time and place and space to make something that is going to feel new and connected so that what you get is like this journey of like constant discovery. Um, oh, I didn't know it looked like that. Oh, I see that connection. Like you wouldn't necessarily make that connection right out of the gate because it's the same logo everywhere. It's like just a little different expression of it that um, expands and unwinds. And I think that's how a like a great meal is. There's like constant like oh something new oh and it connects to the last thing so everything kind of comes together and flows together it feels of a piece yep of a piece for all sure. sort of connected to each other it's 
interesting thinking about when I like when I've noticed things about logos. Like I, I think that I registered the poppies on the papavero mm-hmm. sign before I knew that papavero meant poppy. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we're you know talking to Patrick Depula and mm-hmm. Sun Prairie about how he feels like there are pirates out there. So the yeah. the skull is like from like that kind of aesthetic, you know, Heritage Tavern and, mm-hmm. and kind of the, the, I think there's a fox, right, mm-hmm. That's that, that you wouldn't necessarily think of right away, but oh, okay, mm-hmm. it's connected there and it all kind of fits. Yep, and even with, so Dan Fox, Fox, Heritage Tavern, um, but the taking of that fox and making it simple enough so that it could be cut out of the chairbacks that are in at the bar is a like a nice constraint of the logo or a nice opportunity of like the fox has this sort of German element to it um, in how it became the cut work from the wood. Even that it's sort of set a little bit underneath the, the road, like you step down a couple steps to get in there, you're kind of in this under cellar-like thing that somehow feels more European is there a risk when you change your logo that you could disrupt something in the brand that would then, you know, maybe cause problems for a restaurant? Are, are, there, are there dangers, I guess? I mean, one of the places that I think about like that is Lombardino's, in that Lombardino's has got that funky mural um, that's grandfathered in. Like, you can't do that in Madison with current signage yeah. <laughs> codes and whatnot. Um, and that has that classic Italian look. And then you go inside, and it's also got that classic Italian aesthetic. The frescoes and things. Yeah, yeah. weird manic, uh, what are the, who are they? Harlequin puppet-like clowns? Yeah, Commedia dell'arte, like, kind okay. of, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you look at the menu, and it's a lot more tuscan yeah, and that doesn't feel necessarily like the Ita- American Italian big meatball and spaghetti kind of thing, but they get away with it because they've got the heritage of having been there forever and having evolved with the tastes of Madison and evolved with there's just this heritage of the cuisine and the evolution of that that does have its own kind of trajectory. I started this interview thinking Cricket was mainly going to be talking about logos and maybe some interior design, but I realized she must also have to think about how the outside of a restaurant goes with the inside and how everything translates from what you're looking at when you first see it to what eventually ends up on your plate. I mean, you have to have that continuity of experience of like seeing it from driving by. I mean, you've got this lovely vantage point of pasture and plenty as you're driving across campus drive you're going over the bridge for highland avenue and you can peek down and there's this it almost feels like the night hawks painting the edward hopper painting of like this little corner and this big lit up space um and the old renabombs is really talking to that you know 1930s 1940s same time period um, so that ha- that clean corner um, is a step back in time, a step back to 
values of another time and another place that is very much akin to what Christie's trying to do in that space. So it's a beautiful uh, connection of what it feels like from driving by to sitting down to, um, you know, a, a breakfast where you have a cloth napkin and an old, um, you know, Wilson pottery. It's a, it's a new piece of pottery from Wilson Creek, but and it is like this, you know, commitment to quality and non-disposable um, materials and the fact that you sit down and you can eat. I mean, you, if you take away from there, you're taking away Pyrex and you're taking away um, sustain to the extent that's economically feasible, you're taking away sustainably sourced um, materials that can be either recycled or um, treated, you know, re- reused to the extent possible. For sure. Do you see trends in logos that oh. are particularly compelling? I yeah. feel like I compelling see... or annoying. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of ampersand restaurants now. The ampersand was pretty big back in 2008, so that's a trend that's been going strong for at least 10 years. I mean, Birch and Butcher opened last year, and they're still like four and barrel cask and ale. Yeah, they're in bottle and four and. I don't know. Anyway, but I wonder, like, are there trends in logos, like, that you also see, like, or in design? Well, I mean, there is there is the the X of, yeah. like, a cross with, you know, put two strings th- two in there plus two letters and you have a logo. Um, there is the simple sans serif thing that goes in a box. Um, there is also the trend of... We're going to give you five different logos instead of one logo. Like, it's the same name, but it's treated three to four different ways. Um, so it's like kind of the anti-logo. Um, I'm you, trying to think of an example of that. Oh, shoot. Um, like, I mean, Mint Mark actually kind of has that going on in that they've got the little triangle fountain of trees. So it's sort of a fern bar there. But then also there's... The logo that's on the f- the facade that has the um, lady holding the sphere, and then you've got the weird geometric, weird and beautiful geometric <laughs> um, leaves, fern-like leaves that are along the facade. Um, so, like, which one of those is the logo, and which one of those is the um, vi- you know visual system? And even those kind of come together in interesting ways right Um, so yeah that's an example of a trend where it's like we're not actually committing to a mark but we have a whole bunch of them and they all kind of fit together to serve a purpose so that that's sort of an example of a trend Um, if one of your designers came to you and gave you an x with stuff around it would you send them back to the drawing board (laughs) we would keep it in the back pocket and think about how we could extend the system to be something that is useful or we would need to have a very compelling reason as to why that is exactly the right you know why does that x fit and how does that x extend to be useful or talk back to what the brand experience should be when you are stuck in a, like creatively or intellectually mm-hmm. stuck, like I just can't figure out what I want to do with this. Do you ever go back to the fail board and say, well, I really loved this one. Maybe this could work in this other way. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it has to be of the same cloth or adaptable to work for this new application. But there are certainly um, 
orphans from past projects that need to someday ride again. <laughs> yeah. Are there chef? Do you find that chefs and you know brewers who are opening mm-hmm. their own breweries? Do you find that they're pretty decisive about the look that they want? Or is this just sort of one more thing in the grand process of making a new restaurant that becomes overwhelming? Do you often find one of those two is true? Yes. Both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes simultaneously, like one partner will have a very clear vision and the other partner won't really know what they want. Um, Sometimes they have an idea and... They don't know how it's going to fit in the with the food. Um, sometimes they have an idea and they and it's got a picture, but they don't know what that picture is and how to use their words to make that something that we understand. Um, and so sometimes it's like I'll know it when I see it, and that's one of the reasons for having that really gl- discovery, pro- really good discovery process around inspiration like it looks like this and they're like oh yeah I like this and then we can go collect more inspiration around that and it's like oh I like this plus that and then from there we know exactly where we need to go to make something that they're that touches what they're looking for I asked Cricket if there were any projects that she'd worked on recently that she was really proud of, and she mentioned Marigold Kitchen, owned by Philip Hurley and John Gato, who also owns Sardine in Gates and Brovey, which is over on the near west side. Marigold's new look was specific to its location just off the Capitol Square, and especially relevant on farmer's market mornings. So we just recently um, worked with Philip and John to rebrand or just evolve the brand of Marigold because um, that was actually an early project for us. I think we started working together right around the time that they were opening that restaurant. Um, and it originally was a very contemporary space with a brightly colored ceiling and very clean and con- and contemporary, yet wanting to have a fresh, like, menu that was healthy and comfortable at the same time with farm focused cuisine but is pretty fast casual and that you would order at the counter and then have a number and then it would get delivered so a really good turn so you could go for lunch and get in and get out in a pretty reasonable time span or when it's busy farmers market weekend you know the line could go out the door but you could still get down get seated and and fed well in a way that doesn't feel rushed um pretty conveniently um and that was i mean it's such a great restaurant it's such a um you know their their breakfasts are amazing their lunch is amazing their brunches are incredible their private parties are great um but they began to evolve the space a little bit, and um, they so they also start so the they started and branded it kind of sparingly. They went down to a, a salvage store in Chicago and found a whole bunch of letters that they cobbled together to make the marigold sign that's inside, and that then got kind of cobbled together one more iteration to make their external sign 
Um, and so the typography is consistent, but they never really had a logo other than the, the letters. And so they had a rooster. So we took a we did a series. Our very first project with them was working with a photographer and this notion of playing with food because they wanted to have it be friendly and like you could bring your kids there and it would be cool. So this idea of playing with food, we did a a shoot with like a little um, plastic tiger crawling through a jungle of lettuce and a little plastic rooster that sat on top of the egg to kind of like the ask the question of which came first, the chicken or the egg. and there was a hippo waiting in a bowl of soup with some little pieces of um, chive, like that kind of made this sort of awesome swamp of butternut squash soup. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there really was this, cute. N- this notion of playfulness that then um, eventually those pieces went away, and but the rooster stuck. And so the rooster then became this silhouetted rooster that they used a lot. And then that got used everywhere and got a little bit tired and they're more than just the rooster so um it does make you think breakfast for sure yeah but it doesn't go too far for lunch and their lunch business is great their catering business is great um and so they just said we need to give marigold some new love and originally when we had talked to them we had tried to talk about a logo and they're like we don't want a flower and then when we started doing the inspiration work, they're like, maybe we want a flower. <laughs> they're, like, they're like a bride who's like, I don't want to be princessy. And then she puts on a princess dress and is like, actually, I do. <laughs> well, I mean, John and Philip are so thoughtful. Yeah. And, and so it's not – that's not exactly how they are, but – I think it's just that they evolved into being comfortable with the flower because I think they, they're two guys who have – um, have a fear of it being too feminine a mm. restaurant, and so early on they didn't want to. They didn't want the flower because it felt too feminine. But then when we represented it to them in kind of this cut paper form that has a little bit of retroness to it, as well as like this bold color that goes with the bold flavors of their food. Um, some, you know, it's got a hint of Latin American, but it's also grounded in Wisconsin. Like when when it when they had evolved to a level of maturity, they could I think step into that. Yeah, I think the flower works, and it's like got this bright orange like cup that we designed for them for the to go coffee cup, so that you could see you know walking around the farmers market, you've got this bright orange cup. It's like yeah, you totally know they just went to Marigold. So there's that kind of strength that comes from that you know it's the not the color of the logo but it's the color of the cup that then becomes iconic to the place um so it was a way of evolving that way beyond the rooster so yeah it's fun to see that kind of come to life slowly when when i think about flower logos i do sort of associate it with like a salon maybe Mm -hmm. or somewhere that has that's like a bakery Mm -hmm. where it's a little bit of a softer Mm -hmm. edge Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting when you say you know it's a flower but it's of this different style and it has this color palette and it makes it a really different feel yep for sure absolutely thank you thank you This has been the Making a Restaurant series from The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our podcast is created with help from Eric Lawrenson and music composed by Patrick Christians. 
Coming up next, we're going to have an interview with architect Melissa Destry, talking about lighting and sound and how restaurants flow. You can follow us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Get restaurant reviews, news, and other great stuff at captimes.com. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, Cap Times food editor, and my wish for you this week is roast chicken with sumac and preserved lemon. Cheers! Oh, oh, oh.